welcome to the OT Digest podcast. I'm your host, Katie Kasparo, the founder of otgraphically.com, where I synthesize research into visually appealing graphics. On this podcast, we take research and make it more fun and interesting in order to quickly hear the most updated evidence all around the world. I interview authors, share research tips, and provide practical examples that I hope you can use and incorporate into your interventions the very next day. Thanks for listening. Hello, welcome to the OT Digest podcast. My name is Katie Casparo and I'm your host for today again. Uh, Today we're going to be talking about the topic of trauma center, trauma sensitive yoga uh, with Camille Hallman. So I'm going to let her introduce herself a little bit more and we can get into this conversation, which I'm very excited about. Hi, Katie. Thanks so much for having me on the podcast. Uh, My morning, your evening. Um, Before I introduce myself, um, I would like to take a moment to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of which I'm working today. So I'd like to acknowledge the Pangarang and the Bangarang people as the traditional owners of the land. Um, And I pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. So as you mentioned, my name's Camille. I'm an occupational therapist. Um, I'm also a trauma centre, trauma sensitive yoga facilitator. And I'm currently working in private practice uh, in my own business in regional and rural Victoria, which is in Australia. And I've been working in the mental health space for for about two years now. Uh, And prior to that, I was working in chronic pain, um, inpatient and outpatient rehabilitation. Um, So, yeah, I've got about six years experience working as an occupational therapist. Um, and still finding my feet as a trauma-centered, trauma-sensitive yoga facilitator. Very cool. Yes, Camille and I met when she asked for an infographic to design. So I got to really learn a lot about the trauma-centered, trauma-sensitive yoga and um, what research is going on behind that, which was awesome. I hadn't really heard about that super uh, specific, and it was actually a lot of it's going on in my old hometown so that's kind of fun too of uh, Boston so ah, there um, you go. yeah <laughs> yeah there, I think it's so exciting to have someone from Australia I feel like um I feel like you I don't know if this is my perception but I feel as if Australia is really on the forefront of the mental health and occupational therapy you know really they've you've done a great job of of kind of studying it in the research but then I just feel like you're kind of ahead of the game. We kind of got a little lost in the weeds a little bit with our medical model in the US and I feel like we're coming back around to it. So it's, it's nice to kind of hear just your journey in, in a different country and well, as well as, um, you know, how, what practices you're using because I think they can apply to occupational therapists everywhere. So thank you for being willing, willing to come on here. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, you're welcome. There And there are, I have, you know, just to add to that, there are a lot of amazing mental health occupational therapists um, in Australia. Um, I'm linked in with a few amazing clinicians that have worked um, in the mental health space for a number of years. And 
are very passionate about um, maintaining that OT identity, I guess, in the space um, and being able to bring OT intervention into the world of, of mental health. But it's funny, I, I think the same, though, about the states, I guess, because all of this training is, is coming from the states. So sometimes my perception is that a lot of it is coming from the US um, compared to Australia. But I guess we're all kind of working towards the same, the same goal. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, thank you for being here. To backtrack a little bit, for anyone who has not heard about, I know a lot of people have heard the phrases trauma-informed care. That is definitely a popular term now, maybe, you know, even than it was a year ago or two years ago, but what is trauma center, trauma sensitive yoga, or also known as TCTSY as I'm learning? Yes. Um, I think the first step of learning trauma center, trauma sensitive yoga was learning how to say it. And it took me a little while, Um, but trauma center, trauma sensitive yoga or TCTSY And I might use that abbreviation um, as we go throughout the um, podcast. So it's an evidence-based adjunctive uh, clinical intervention for complex trauma um, or chronic trauma. And it was developed at the Trauma Centre in Brookline, Massachusetts, and is a program, so a current program of the Centre for Trauma and Embodiment at the Justice Resource Institute. Um, And what it does is it uses um, Hatha Yoga Foundations to support um, participants to explore physical forms, um, movement and breath. Um, So there's an emphasis on the internal experience of participants, um, which, you know, us OTs might know as interoception um, and choice making one of the things that you taught me early on was it's very different from the yoga that we know that we see um, maybe in businesses, you know, advertising power yoga or different types of yoga. And it's just not the same situation. So I think that was a really important thing for me to learn. I guess it was a journey for myself as well. So I've um, been practicing yoga for about six, six or seven years. Um, and kind of started practicing as I started working as an occupational therapist. And as I was on my own journey of yoga throughout my work, I kept thinking I would love to be able to to weave this into OT, you know, and this was from personal development and professional development that I could really attribute to the practice of yoga. Um, But over the years, I guess as an OT, you know, wanting to work in it from an evidence-based and evidence-informed approach, you know, not being quite sure how that would fit into my practice and how it would fit into my scope of practice. Um, So a couple of years ago, I was speaking to another um, very amazing occupational therapist who works in the community. Um, We were both talking about our shared kind of love of yoga and she mentioned trauma centre, trauma-sensitive yoga. Um, So I kind of went home immediately and, and, and looked it up and was so excited about the um, methodology behind it and the research and the evidence. And the, I guess the, the thing that sets trauma-sensitive yoga um, away or apart from other forms of yoga is that it has been designed with trauma survivors, um, with the needs of trauma survivors in mind. David Emerson 
oh, I think it was way back in maybe 2002 or 2003, started to develop um, trauma-sensitive yoga. You know, then in 2014, worked alongside Bessel van der Kolk to develop the research base. That's the name I was trying to remember. I knew it was some, I could picture his face, but I couldn't remember his name. So yeah, he wrote yeah. the book, The Body Keeps the Score, which I am almost through, but it is a tough book to get through. But it's, I think, a really important book as OTs to read. I'm still three quarters of the way through. I bought it a few <laughs> years ago and it is a, um, it is a pretty information intensive book to read through um but also I guess in terms of um, my self-care as a clinician sometimes I can only consume um so much of trauma related content so I do tend to take my time um, reading through the literature yeah that's an important thing to consider definitely and as we work you know with people all day and then to go home and read about it more is tough so I totally yeah, I've been there before too. So what made you think, so I hear you saying, you know, you were interested in yoga and saw that there was a connection. What made you think like, yes, this is in our scope of practice and, and we can't, we can't incorporate it. What was the like connecting thing for you? I think the connecting thing was um, my interest in sensory modulation. So kind of all these things were happening at the same time. I was starting to work in mental health. I was starting to develop an interest in sensory modulation and I was starting to link yoga or movement as a sensory modulation um, strategy and not just as a way, I guess, not just as a um, learning through the literature and through formal learning, but also as exploration of movement in my own um, self-care and my own capacity to regulate. So, yeah, I, I definitely see when you first were talking about it, the sensory piece, I always think of yoga as more, I guess this is also sensory, but like self-regulation, more emotional regulation for the kids I work with. And I don't necessarily always think of it as a sensory tool, um, in like in their toolbox. Um, but I definitely, um, and I think kids is obviously different than, than adults as well, but I, I can see where that fits in really nicely with what we're doing. And um, especially in the mental health space, you know, I know yoga is beneficial for, you know, all sorts of things physically, but also for me our mental health too. I think that is um, really important to understand the, the neurology and sensory impacts it can have because there's so much research on how it can really regulate our nervous system, how that is really important to rewire really our very frazzled nervous systems right now. So I know yoga for me has been um, like, it's like when I start doing it, I'm like, oh, I needed that. Like, I didn't even know I needed that, but that's what I needed. And it's definitely a, a full body, full sensory experience, uh, which is really, really unique to it. Yeah. And, and that's um, how I'm working towards integrating it into my practice as a sensory modulation and a self-regulation um, strategy for the clients that I'm working with. Um, and a part of how I am integrating that into practice is quite often starting with psychoeducation. So working with people to learn about the nervous system um, and why something like mindful movement or other sensory-based strategies, so other body-based strategies, 
could support them to uh, first notice what might be happening within their nervous system and within the body and then be able to make a choice as to, well, where might I want to go um, from here? So essentially, I guess what I'm talking about is working within that window of tolerance framework, um, which was developed by Dr. Dan Siegel, and this idea that that everyone has a window of tolerance or an optimal zone of arousal um, in which they can function in a way that is useful for them. So it's really individual. Um, and within this window of tolerance, generally people are in their safe, social and connected space. So their nervous system is regulated and their prefrontal cortex is online. So the part of the brain that is responsible for planning and processing and decision-making and all of those executive functions is online. What can happen, and this is with, with anyone, and I guess what can happen is throughout the day and throughout life, we can experience various stresses and those things can start to build up. Um, and sometimes I use the analogy of a cup. So the window of tolerance is like a cup and you can fill it and fill it and fill it and there's only so much water that the cup can take so we only have so many things throughout our um, day that we can process and take on before our nervous system um, unconsciously makes a decision as to whether it is too much and you know what can happen after that is the nervous system might detect danger or threat and um, it might elicit a sympathetic response. So it might push a person outside of their window of tolerance into a hyper-aroused state of arousal. So that's that heightened, anxious, feeling out of control, can be feeling quite angry as well. Or the other response that can occur is, and this is generally if there is a life threat, um, is a hypo-arouse, so a low state of arousal. Um, or as, the, you know, according to polyvagal theory, it's the parasympathetic dorsal vagal response. So I'm starting to kind of combine those two. So window of tolerance and polyvagal theory um, are very much um, considered in psychoeducation when implementing trauma-centered, trauma-sensitive yoga. And polyvagal theory is something that was um, really emphasised in the throughout the training um, with facilitators, just as a way of understanding um, nervous system responses, being able to recognise that sometimes these responses occur outside of the control of, of individuals. There is research and evidence that suggests that mindfulness, body-based sensory approaches, so bottom-up approaches, can have an impact on a person's capacity to move through those states. Man, it's fascinating. I, I, it's really cool to be able to do this right after we just did the other uh, podcast on polyvagal theory, because I felt like I learned so much there. And you're also bringing in similar, uh, but different things too. And I think when that's like, what's so great about OT, and you can really take your different experiences and and make connections, which is really, and I feel like it's all very, like those things are all, well, maybe not all of them, but some of them are pretty new. And so it's, it's an exciting time to really learn a lot about the body and, and how we process information. And I think it's, 
Um, that's awesome. I didn't realize that was part of the training too on this. So the so the TCTSY facilitator training is a 300 hour um, training and it is delivered all online. And I, from my understanding, they've been doing this for a number of years. So um, the training is run worldwide. Um, we do have uh, supervisors in you know, each of our respective countries. And the training involves, um, it's quite intensive in that there's a real emphasis on uh, language rather than an emphasis on yoga forms or finding a right yoga form. So what that means is, you know, Dave Emerson talks about this in his book, um, talking about trauma as an extreme lack of control. Um, so trauma-centered, trauma-sensitive yoga seeks to facilitate a space whereby trauma survivors can experience, um, I guess, a sense of control over, over their own bodies through invitational language. So inviting the person to maybe explore yoga forms, maybe explore movement. And then in that is also supporting uh, participants to then make choices about their bodies and how they choose to participate, but also if they choose not to participate. And that kind of comes into this space that as a facilitator, there are no expectations as to how a person has to be in that space. There are no expectations as to how a person has to participate. And in that space, so when, between the facilitator and the participant, there is a shared authentic experience. So whilst as the facilitator, I might be offering um, movement and I might be participating in movement, there is not necessarily an expectation that the participant also has to participate in that movement because I can't possibly know what that person's experience is like for them in their body yeah that just interception across the board is what I hear you talking about you know being able to tap into your internal sensations and how when someone experiences trauma how that is that is taken away a lot of times and how to or you know it's a it's a negative experience doing that so it it could be really scary a movement that we don't we don't realize you know everyone experiences I literally think I said this phrase last podcast but we don't know what other people experience and how they perceive sensory input too uh, so yeah I bet that's very empowering for people to experience that choice I wonder if it's is it often hard at first for them to do this yeah so we know that people who um, have experienced um, trauma can experience reduced introceptive awareness. So that capacity to notice sensation in their body and then link that sensation to an emotion or to an experience. Um, and that can be, I mean, that can be for a number of factors, but a common experience can be that in order to survive a traumatic experience, Experience, a person might have had to disassociate, so disconnect from their body. So there's a disconnect between the mind and the body. And over time, that disassociation starts to become a way of um, survival in life after the trauma. So an invitation to 
all of a sudden notice sensation when there has been a prolonged disconnect can be incredibly uncomfortable and overwhelming. And there's also links between that with um, traumatic memory as well. We know that traumatic memory is stored as sensory fragments. And it is a lot of the work of what Bessel van der, Kolk, van der Kolk talks about is that, you know, trauma is stored within the body. So if we're working in a body-based approach, then it is extremely important that as facilitators of that space, we are offering the person the choice to participate or not to participate. Yeah, that's very powerful. And I feel very much aligned with what OT is already doing. I don't know. I can see very easily the connection that you made and, and how you got there. And I think it's a great tool for us to have kind of across the board. Not So I know there's research for people with uh, PTSD, um, and that's been very effective for that population. And, and you had said earlier, it's more chronic and complex trauma. Yeah, so the research that's been done, so when, I, when we talk about evidence-based and evidence-informed, you know, the research that has been done is working with people who have experienced complex trauma. Um, and by complex trauma, I'm referring to trauma that has occurred within relationships. Um, often occurring from childhood during developmental years. Yeah, and that's versus a, you know, one-time big event, small, small events over, over time. Yes, Not necessarily that's right. small, but multi multiple events. Yeah. That's interesting. I hadn't heard anyone phrase it like that. Like it's with the relationships. That makes sense though. Yeah. It's another big emphasis of um, TCTSY methodology is I, I guess it's that relationship between the because there is a big emphasis on relationship because there's the relationship that is formed between the facilitator and the participant and use of things like invitational language and choice making and non-coercion seek to develop a safe relationship because um, often for people who live with complex trauma relationships are not a safe space. I know that one of the things that I was looking at when we were kind of working together too was, I thought this was fascinating, but that there was one group that was doing this uh, trauma sensitive TMSA, TCTSY <laughs> yoga, and um, their symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder were, were like, it didn't look like they had it anymore after, which I thought was, was fascinating. Um, when we were reviewing a few of those articles, that was one of the the results, I don't know if it lasted or if it, you know, it, they didn't follow up, but I thought that was a very, um, like it really helps the, the symptoms of, of this and make, maybe can really get into maybe some areas where cognitive behavioral therapy cannot. Um, that's kind of what I, I took away from it. Yes. And that study you're referring to, let me just refer to my infographic that was developed. <laughs> um, so that study that you're referring to was the randomized control trial that was completed in 2014 um, by David Emerson and uh, Bessel van der Kolk. Yeah, they do. I've actually got the statistics in front of me. So 52% of women no longer experience symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder um, after the TCTSY treatment. 
And there's always limitations in the studies and um, the Centre for Trauma and Embodiment have a page on their website that actually lists all of the research articles that have um, been done around TCTSY. Off the top of my head, I can't remember if a follow-up had been done around if um, the if it lasted, they could be. So I guess that's the best place to have a look for further evidence um, because they are free and they share their research and resources, which is really useful, particularly for practitioners that are wanting to stay evidence-informed um, and wanting to offer something like TCTSY in, a, in the safest way possible in clinical practice. Yeah, that's a great resource. I'll make sure to put that in uh, the notes of this show. That was really um, a great, I don't know, it was really cool to be able to read through those articles. And uh, the articles are pretty strong, like from my perspective. I mean, they're doing randomized control trials and that's kind of the, the gold standard. So um, Camille is having a hard time, you were having a hard time explaining to doctors, like, this isn't yoga, this is different. And, like that was, that was kind of cool to be able to give them what they, the doctors wanted to see, which is the randomized controlled trial and be able to have that. So I'm sure there's even more going on. So I'll definitely link to that. The website is traumasensitiveyoga.com. Oh, okay, perfect. <laughs> so if you don't, can't find the show notes, just type that in. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I love that you kind of took your experience of, of being evidence-informed and this was, you saw a connection and you were like, oh, this is, this is something here that I think OTs need to be a part of, which I feel like I have those revelations every day and it makes my life very complicated and it makes me want to do all the interventions. So, um, but it's nice that you stuck to this one. Um, and then I appreciate that you kind of took the time to say like, what's the evidence next as the next step that can be hard to versus like, kind of want to try it, which I think it's definitely a process of like, you know, maybe trying it with some people where it's like clinically, it seems like it could work and they seem like they could benefit, but really going to the research too, to kind of support your, your hypothesis, uh, if you will, to get fancy with that word. Um, but, <laughs> and then you were like, okay, I'm going to get trained on this because that's like what makes the difference based on research and then be able to use that in practice. So that's really cool to see kind of that journey and that it is a journey and it's not always super linear. And I think that's like a great example. I've been thinking a lot about how, because we're so broad, this is going to be a soapbox. So we'll, we'll see if this gets in, but <laughs> just, you know, Katie's thoughts for the day, but because OT is so broad, it can be really overwhelming to know ev like this evidence behind everything. So, but if we all really specialize and find something that we really connect with, and kind of go deep with that area, I think that could be really powerful from like a profession across the board because we can't know it all. We can be a generalist, but that kind of gets tough as so much evidence comes out to kind of always be a generalist, I think. I haven't personally been able to do that. So it's cool to see your journey with that. It's, it's definitely a journey and I'm not there yet. Um, and it's something that TCTSY has fallen into my practice in terms of, I guess, where my personal and profession, professional passions lie um, around that movement-based approach. Um, I'm definitely not a talk therapist. Um, I'm not a cognitive-based therapist. It's not where my scope of practice or skill set lies. 
Um, but I'm very confident in upskilling and, and developing my understanding of sensory modulation and body-based approaches. It's been very challenging since finishing the course to um, integrate this into my practice uh, because, you know, and to be honest, I thought I was going to do the course and then I was going to hit the ground running. Like I had this amazing, you know, intervention that has got research behind it. You know, the course was amazing. The facilitators that are working in the space seem to know their stuff. But actually implementing it into my work as an occupational therapist has been um, really challenging because the scope in which I'm working at the moment is I'm working in private practice. So I'm working as a sole practitioner in the community. And the research base for TCTSY is that it is an adjunctive treatment. So meaning that TCTSY is not the sole treatment being offered um, to people. It is often being, the research is done in adjunct with talk therapy or psychotherapy or counselling. So quite often the people that um, I'm working with, not engaged with anybody else and not engaged with a psychiatrist or sometimes not even engaged with a GP. So there's been a lot of difficulty with me being able to offer this because occupational therapists, I think, work best when we're working in teams. So without a team, I'm unsure where something like TCTSY would fit. But then having said that, I come back to the evidence around sensory modulation and using sensory modulation as an OT intervention, as a way to support um, people to self-regulate. So to manage those fluctuations between the hyper-aroused and hypo-aroused. And within that sensory modulation framework, I, I'm, a, I'm able to use my training, so use my TCTSY training to offer um, or invite clients to maybe trial some movement, to maybe trial um, a weighted blanket to maybe trial other sensory tools. So TCTSY starts to become part of my sensory modulation toolkit um, as a therapist. And even just doing the training has, has really supported me to, to reflect and think about how I show up as, um, as a therapist in the space and, you know, how I show up in terms of um, even the power dynamic that, that naturally occurs between a therapist and a client and how my use of language, vocal prosody, my body language can facilitate a safe therapeutic relationship. Um, and that was another key learning for me in the TCTSY course was this acknowledgement that um, we live in a society um, with systems of power and oppression and being able to acknowledge that and seek to address that where possible supports us to move towards becoming a trauma-sensitive society. Yeah, that's very powerful. And I think hits on a lot of challenges with trying to just be create a safe space, but also feel like we have this pressure to help people progress and that balance of trying to navigate that, I, I, I catch myself a lot in that, in that uh, tension. 
uh, you know, trying to want to to see the progress or see the outcomes, but you know, at the what at what cost, you know, am I, you know, able to create that space where someone can connect and their nervous system is out of space where they can learn. You know, I think that is really very powerful um, to think through and a lot of what trauma-informed care is all about. And I think until we all are doing that, um, it can be really challenging to our clients to, to receive that care. So I think that's, this is such a nice tool to have. And I, I could see how the language can change your whole practice, just how you phrase things. It can be something um, like when you see, well, when, when a client arrives with you in the space, you know, example of invitational language could be, if you'd like, you could take a seat um, in this chair or you might stand. Um, it's your choice versus welcome to the session, take a seat. So there's a huge contrast between being able to offer choice um, within sessions compared to being um, showing up in a maybe commanding or a power dynamic. I'm also curious, do you feel like you, this is something, that language is something you try to apply for everyone or when, or just when you know someone has had a traumatic past? Everyone. I think we all like to be offered choices throughout the day. Um, and I think that we all like to feel that we are in control of how we interact with the world. And I think that doing the TCTSY um, 300 hour training has impacted not only my life professionally, but personally as well, and made me really reflect and think about how I want to show up in the world. I, my first thought when you were explaining the struggles of implementing it, I wonder if the people who are researching it would be interested to hear what you're doing and share how OT, because I don't know if I've seen anything about OT and, and this specific intervention. That would be really neat. They may, might know someone that is already doing it. One of the um, trauma center, trauma sensitive yoga facilitators is an OT um, and she is based in Melbourne, Kristen Pringle. Um, so I think that occupational therapy is on their radar. I think just with research, I don't know, it's so challenging. I think OT's research within occupational therapy can be slow because I think that we're busy and we're overwhelmed and there's a lot of clinical work out there but I do feel like it is starting to change particularly with a lot of the research done by Kelly Marla in interoception I think that's quite groundbreaking and will have a huge impact in OTs being recognized as um, a key profession or professionals in the space um, of interoception and within trauma center trauma sensitive yoga um, interoception is one of the five pillars. Oh, I didn't realize that. That's that's great. That's really cool. Yeah, she is from, I believe, my home state or the state I live in now, Pennsylvania. So I love uh, supporting her work. She, I use her curriculum probably every day that, that I work with kids. Um, it is just really, and you know, some kids aren't ready for it, which is also interesting to learn. You know, when when to when to introduce some things and when to kind of um, give that choice 
Uh, so yeah, I think that that combination of those two things would, is really, that would be a powerful treatment plan <laughs> to use mm. them together. Yeah, I think just to um, go back to, you know, how much this could c- impact your personal life and professional life, I think that just shows how much of a passion it is for you and and how cool that is to have found kind of your, your niche. It is very cool and it, it is um, very exciting. It's, you know, it does, it does excite me to, I guess, turn up and show up for work and to continue to be engaged in learning because I think at the moment with um, a lot of the research that is happening around trauma um, or the treatment of trauma comes back to that bottom-up processing or that body-based approach and I just think occupational therapists are in such an amazing position to be able to really step up um, in that space in a way that maybe hasn't happened um, in mental health before um, in the past and you know I guess speaking of pioneering kind of OTs in Australia um, it's Carolyn um, Fitzgibbon and Julie O'Sullivan do a lot of work around sensory modulation in mental health care um, and they have a lot of amazing resources as well um, just around how to implement sensory modulation into a person's care um, and particularly around reducing the use of restrictive practice. Wow, that's great. Yeah, I'll definitely find that and go into that and post it down here as well in our notes. Yeah, this has been great. So how, if you're we're listening to this and we're like, how want to get started right now doing this? Um, how do we kind of take that first step? So there is um, a process um, that um, is involved with becoming a trauma center, trauma-sensitive yoga facilitator. Um, all of the website, all of the information is on the website traumasensitiveyoga.com. But essentially the first step to um, working towards this is to engage in a 20-hour workshop. Since COVID, I think that they have uh, they are offering these workshops online, um, but they do offer them all over the world. So I'm sure that that would be kind of listed on their website. But the 20-hour training is essentially an introduction to TCTSY, to the methodology, to the research, um, and kind of, you know, talking about how as a mental health practitioner you might be able to integrate this into your practice. So some people just do the 20-hour workshop and then that is enough for them to be able to integrate aspects into their practice depending on how many years' experience they have as a clinician. And then if you want to become a trauma-centred, trauma-sensitive yoga facilitator, the next step is to complete a 300-hour training which is all online and completed over a period of six months. And in that course, it is um, extremely interactive. So you are you engage in peer supervision, you engage in supervision with facilitators, and there are weekly um, workshops. And they, every week has a different topic. But the place to start would be going on to traumasensitiveyoga.com. Awesome. I feel like that was the end of a commercial, the way you said that. <laughs> I know, <laughs> totally. <laughs> no, that's all good. This is unsolicited for this. This is just, we really like trauma-centered, trauma-centered yoga. Yeah. Awesome. 
Well, that's really cool. I love to just kind of think through, you know, what's that first step? But then also I loved hearing about, you know, your process and what OTs, you know, how we can kind of pioneer in this area, as well as maybe some barriers that the other people might run into that they can kind of think through at a time. So I appreciate you, you know, sharing your story, Camille, and being, uh, letting us, you know, hear how things are going in Victoria. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me, Katie. Mm-hmm.